I've noticed if you think back at all the parables that we've looked at, some of them were really straightforward, really easy to understand, really interesting to listen to, nothing controversial in, uh, in, in the parable. And then there were the tricky ones, weren't there? There were ones that were a little bit harder to understand. Uh, had a few verses there that were difficult to come to grips with. And again, I have been given one that is not straightforward. All right, discipleship. We're looking at discipleship this morning, but but um, have we got the uh, thing? It's coming up. Good. Not just discipleship. We're looking at the cost of being a disciple, and we read that passage uh, in in Luke. It had a couple of examples there. Now, discipleship is a huge topic. It really is. Uh, It's very uh, extensively spoken about by the Lord Jesus. It's picked up by the the apostles in the New Testament and there's heaps and heaps of things uh, about discipleship. In the Gospels, the Lord spoke about them and he describes the importance of it, what it actually does for us for the Lord and for the people that watch us. It also uh, um, gives us evidence of a certain thing, which we'll uh, highlight in a minute, and also talks about the benefits of being a disciple. And we all love benefits, don't we? We all like getting things. Those kids just love... Look, there's nothing left. There's no. There's no... There's no colouring in or pencils left. We love freebies. We love getting benefits, rewards, all sorts of things. But discipleship has a cost. And that's what we're looking at this morning. The importance of discipleship. I think that's one of the things we have to look at this morning. Not just the cost. What, 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 is, what is discipling? What is the importance of it? The Great Commission, we've often spoken about that. Now, when when we look at the Great Commission, when we read it, when we say, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to to obey everything I have commanded you. We think about evangelism, don't we? We think about telling people about the gospel. And there's nothing wrong with thinking that. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say that. And do you realise who it is that said that? Uh, uh, people that uh, know me well here know that I've got red writing in my Bible. The Lord Jesus said that. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. So we need to know what a disciple is. He didn't say, go and make followers, Elizabeth. He didn't say that. He didn't say, go and make members. We all love to have members in our church, but he didn't say that. He didn't even say, go and make Christians. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. And and, and the Lord is, God is so gracious. He's not not selective. It's not about the Jews. It's not about white people or or coloured people. It's all nations, all inclusive, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And, brothers and sisters, have a look at what else it says. At teaching them 
to obey everything I have commanded you. Brothers and sisters, that is the qualifying and characteristic, uh, uh, main characteristic of a disciple. A disciple has learnt everything uh, that the Lord has taught. He obeys it fully. All right? That's what a disciple is. It's more than a follower. Do you know the Lord Jesus had heaps and heaps of people following? I love the way the, 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 uh, the meeting has come together this morning. That, that clip. How many people turned up to get, to, uh, to get the two loaves, uh, the two fish, the five loaves? 5,000. Now that's a crowd. That's a crowd. And we read this morning from Luke, what sort of crowd turned up? A large crowd. The Lord had heaps of people following him, heaps at the start. But the New Testament talks about, it distinguishes people between followers and disciples. There is a distinction. You see, disciples are certainly followers of Jesus, but not all followers of Jesus are disciples. Because, you know, if you start to read through the New Testament, what you discover is that that, that crowd, those large crowds, they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's interesting to note why that happens. As the Lord Jesus tries to explain to them what's required of a follower to become a disciple, it, it comes, becomes apparent that there's a cost to be paid. It's no longer, no longer freebies. So, the next slide. I, I know that you'd be disappointed if I didn't do this to you, for you. I looked up the word disciple in the dictionary. So Webster's Dictionary says this. This is really interesting. It says, uh, a pupil or follower of any teacher or school. A true disciple, Webster's Dictionary says, a true disciple is not just a student or a learner, you know, just stuffing in knowledge. Nothing wrong with that. But a true disciple is not just that, but one who applies, applies what they have learnt. So that, 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 that's very important. Now, the Greek word that you find in the New Testament that uses the, that's used for, uh, um, disciple is called, uh, mathetes. I think that's how you say it. I'm Italian. I don't know Greek. All right. But that's, that's the word. And it's a really interesting word because while Webster's dictionary gives us a very good description of disciple, the Greek word that was used in the New Testament means this. A pupil, oh, it's very similar, isn't it? A pupil, yeah. Or an apprentice. Oh, I love that. Or an apprentice. An adherent who accepts the instruction given to him or her and makes it their own. That's what it means in the Greek. When you read the word disciple in the New Testament, that's what they, that's the idea. 
that they're trying to convey. And I love the idea of the apprentice. Now, some people over here who are new don't realise I'm a tradie, right? Or was. Retired. (laughs) And, you know, to be a tradie, you have to do an apprenticeship. Though I know all about apprenticeships. And there's people in this church who have gone through apprenticeships. An apprentice emulates the master, the person who's teaching them whatever it is that they're going to learn. Might be carpentry, plumbing, electrical, motor mechanics, whatever it might be. They learn from the master or the main trading. A few years ago, I had the privilege of mentoring a young man from this church who who, um, was also a carpenter. And we got talking about all sorts of things. Now, he he became a a carpenter by doing an apprenticeship. And he was telling me about his apprenticeship, uh, the person that he learnt from, uh, the skills of uh, woodworking and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, in conversation with him, I discovered something else, that this young man didn't just learn how to be a carpenter. He learnt a lot of other things from the, 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 the master tradesman. And one of the things I learned was that uh, this guy, he hates coffee. He doesn't even, can't even stand the smell of coffee. You know why? Because it was his job when he first started as an apprentice to make the tea. You see? The, the master, the, the head, the head trader, he, he didn't like coffee. He drank tea. And so this young man learned the love of tea as well. And to this day, he's a tea drinker, loves it. And we, when we catch up from time to time at the coffee shop, he has tea. Very embarrassing. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Hmm. All right. So that's what an apprentice is. And I love that in the Greek they say not just a pupil but an apprentice who learns from the master. Listen to these three verses very quickly. Romans 8.28 predestined to be conformed in the likeness of Jesus. That's what a disciple has to become, conformed to the likeness of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 11.1, the Apostle Paul says, follow or imitate my example as I follow or imitate the example of Christ. So we're to imitate the master Disciple imitates the master. John chapter 8 verse 31. If you hold, written in red in my Bible. So the Lord said this. The Lord himself said this. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That's what the Lord said. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Can you see it's more than just following after somebody? A disciple becomes the embodiment, the embodiment of the master, almost a carbon copy of the master. And I love the fact that we read uh, Philippians, so I was going to mention it. In body, in character, in attitude, in thinking, 
and in action and in behaviour. That's what's required of a disciple. More than just a follower. Thank you. So, let's get back to uh, on topic. The cost of being a disciple. Is there a I thought salvation was free. Wasn't salvation isn't salvation free, Ken? Salvation is free. Praise the Lord. Doesn't cost you anything to be saved. Doesn't cost you anything to have your sins forgiven because as we've remembered this morning, that your sins have been already paid for. There's no cost to salvation. But there is a cost for discipleship. So I looked up the word cost. It's not up there. But I looked up the word cost. Have a listen to what it says. Cost, the definition is the price paid to acquire, to produce, to accomplish or maintain anything. And then it says a sacrifice or a loss or an outlay of time, money, labour or trouble. That's what the word cost. It's not just dollars and cents, brothers and sisters. So, the cost of discipleship. We now have the parameters. Don't we? we have the parameter or the framework in which we can look at this, this, this passage that we looked at this morning, this parable. We have the parameters, the framework. Luke 14 lays out the terms or the cost of discipleship. And, and it's a big topic. It really is. I'm just going to give you a couple of really broad brush strokes this morning. So, you want to follow Jesus? You want to serve him? Absolutely. As a new believer, I love the enthusiasm of new believers. I really do. I used to be one. I'm not older now. Do you want to be associated with the Lord Jesus? Yes, yes. I want to tell people about Christ, what he's done for me. Absolutely. Do you want to be more like Christ? I hope you do. I do. But all that comes at a cost. And you know what I've noticed? You know what I've noticed? People young in the faith, not necessarily young believers, but young in the faith, people who have just come to Christ or a few years later, they are willing to pay the cost of discipleship. They are willing to pay the cost. They're willing to be associated and stand for Jesus. They're willing to tell people about who he is, what he can do for them. And I don't just mean materially, spiritually. They're willing to tell that, that, that God hates sin and, and, causes, and, and, and causes people to, to give an account of their life. God punishes sin. But, you know, what I've also noticed is as, as time goes on, we're still followers of Jesus, we still believe in Jesus, you've still got your salvation, but somehow the cost has become a little bit too much for us. Or perhaps we're not willing to pay the cost to be a true disciple. Do you remember what the Lord said in in, in, in John chapter 8, then you are 
really my disciples. That's what he said. I'm not making it up. I'm just passing on what the Lord said. So, so, so it's not, it's not, oh, I'm a Christian now. I've accepted Christ and I'm a follower. I'm a disciple and no, no. You have to work at these things. And that's what this parable talks about. Counting the cost, making a commitment to see it through. Verse 25, it says, great crowds were following Jesus. Why is that? Why were there great crowds? Well, everyone loves a miracle, loves a show. They love the food, good food, the healings. Jesus was cool at the start of his ministry. He was cool. Everyone wanted to listen to what he had to say. Everyone wanted to see what he could do. He was the latest fad, but the Lord Jesus was God manifesting flesh. He knew their hearts. He knew they were there for the food. He knew they were there because he, yeah, he's, he's the latest uh, uh, prophet to come along and saying something new. And so they flocked to see and to hear and to enjoy the free food. That's why we have fellowship lunches, isn't it? You know, food is always a great attraction. But he knew how, he knew their hearts, he knew that humans are fickle. You see, the Lord Jesus here is reminding people. He did it earlier in, uh, in, uh, the, the, in Matthew as well, chapter 10, I think it is. Uh, he'll remind them as well that he hasn't come to offer a welfare program to make life easy for us. He hasn't come to, to, uh, Make us rich, you know, a quick, a get rich quick scheme like, you know, certain uh, churches are proclaiming even today. It's true that eternal life is a free gift. It is. It's true. But discipleship, you know what discipleship is? It's a transfer of ownership. The Bible talks about this. He says you no longer belong to yourself or to anyone else. A true believer, a true follower of Christ is what? He belongs to Christ. That's what it is. A change of ownership. Galatians 5 talks about that. The master is telling the the pupil here, it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. So we get to the really tricky bit, verse 26. It says there, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother and father... It goes on. It seems really harsh, that verse, doesn't it? It's very similar to, to Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 35, where the Lord said something similar to this. So this morning I'd like to give you a little bit of context about that. Is it right to hate your mother and father, brother and sister, even your own life? Is it right to do that? Jewish life back in this time, in the first century, Jewish families were very important. Their lifestyle was central to, uh, sorry, their, 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 their commitment to one another was central to, to the family's well-being, its survival, 
all sorts of things like that. Huge implications if the family structure broke down. You know, the family structure was part of the welfare system. You know, the relatives looked up, looked after the families. Somebody died. You know, we, the family it was the family that didn't have, you know, social security. Very important. Family relationships were paramount. There were inheritance issues. You know, you inherited the parts of the land. There was ancestral implications. There was purity issues. All these things were important to the Jews. But it was critical. It was part of their identity. That's why genealogies are very important to the Jews. Even today, it's still the same. An Orthodox Jew, their family history and their family relationships and connections, very, very important. And we know from scriptural record and even current practices today, if a Jewish person decided to follow Jesus, what would happen? Oh, yeah, lovely. What? No. They were cast out of the family. They were ostracised. They were disowned. Excommunicated practically. That's what happened. The Lord was talking to what? A large crowd. A little, not as large as this one, a little bit like now. You know, he was, it was public speaking, wasn't he? Preaching. And so he, he had to grab their attention. And what he used was uh, a term which, which we use now, uh, using hyperbole language. In other words, he exaggerated a bit. It'd be a bit like me saying, you know, all Collingwood supporters are feral. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I think that's true. Isn't that true? No. <laughs> but you know what I mean? You know, it's, it, it's like, it'd be like saying, Italian food's the best food you can get. Well, wait a minute. It, no. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that's what the Lord was doing. Trying to get their attention. Because you, you know fine well that the Lord never wanted you to hate your mother or father, brother or sister. What does the first commandment say? Love the Lord your God. God's all about love. He really is. Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. There's a church there, the church of Ephesus, and they're being judged by the, by the Lord Jesus. And you know what was wrong with that church? They had a great teaching program, Stewie. Right? A great teaching program. They loved righteousness. And they loved the word of God. But it's one of the churches that's, that gets, that gets judged by the Savior. And you know what he says? You know why I'm judging you? Because you left your first love. Love is so important. It's critical to God. John chapter 13. The Lord gives us, it's written in red, the Lord gives us a new commandment. Whoa, a new commandment. You know, commandment number 13 perhaps. No, 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 11. What am I thinking? A new commandment. What is it? Love one another. Love one another. So how could he say hate your mother and father? The brothers and sisters, you know that chapter 13 where he gives us that commandment. You know what else it says? 
Are you aware of what else it says? It says there, a new commandment I give you, love one another. By this, men will know you are my disciples. So we, we have to love. We have to love. That's how people will know that we are the disciples of Jesus. You see, a disciple, lo, disciple's love is Christ first. That's what the Lord is saying there. Christ first. Everything that you do, everything that you have is filtered through that, that lens. Christ first. Your job. How does my job impact my relationship with Christ? We had a, a testimony here just la- late last year of a, of a young man who, who, who did that and took steps to remedy the situation. Your relationships with people. How, how does my relationship with that person affect my relationship with Christ? How, how is my, 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 my um, social media, you know, whatever, how does that look in light of my relationship with Jesus, you know? How is my attitude towards my money, my career? That's what the Lord is saying here. Have to put Jesus first. A disciple's love is also not just first, it's sacrificial. Right? Sacrificial. Verse 27. Have a listen. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Because the love, it's easy to love when things are going well. Yes, everyone's nice, they say the right things, they give you good gifts, you know. It's easy to love then. It's easy. But when, what about when things aren't so good? The Lord says that a disciple's love is sacrificial. It's going to cost you something. For me to love you, it's going to cost you something. It cost me something, and vice versa. For you to love me, it will cost you something because I'm not always going to say the right thing to you. I'll let you down from time to time. I'll disappoint you. But you still have to love me. You see, that little reference about carrying a cross, it doesn't actually mean you get a big physical wooden cross and you drag it across like you often see those scenes at Easter time, you know, little um, depictions of the Lord carrying the cross. No, the cross talks about reproach, shame, humiliation. Are you willing to pay that to be a disciple of Jesus? The reproach. You know what I'm talking about. You know, in the staff room, at, the, at, at school, in your family gatherings, when there's an opportunity to say, oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, you know what? That, 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 that attitude doesn't seem to, com- to conform with what the Bible talks about. Are we willing to do that? That's what a disciple would do. It also re- There's also suffering involved with, with carrying a cross, isn't there? Physical suffering, emotional suffering, financial suffering. There's a cost. There's a cost. There's loneliness. 
sometimes you might be the only disciple of Jesus in the room, in the workplace, in the crowd. You'd be very lonely, can't it? But a disciple is willing to pay that because his master did that. And then it's then it, he talks about even even your own life, loving the Lord. And and I love the fact that we read, like I said, uh, Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter two. It cost the Lord to come and save you and me. It cost him. You know I've got a vivid imagination. I often wonder, what does the Lord look like in heaven? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, when there was that discussion. What did he look like? Because it says he took on a body. It means he didn't have a body before. And while you and I may think it's really, really cool to be human and we're probably top of the uh, creation heap, and actually the Lord had to condescend. He had to lower himself to become a human like us. It cost him. Do you realise, do you realise when we get to glory and we see the Lord, he'll be there with scars in his hands and his side. That's what it tells us in Revelation. He has to, he has to have those scars all of eternity. It cost him even the death of the cross. So if we're like the Lord, we should be willing, and that's what those two examples talk about, willing to make the same commitment. We are to become what? Christ-like, like the master. We're a pupil. We're an apprentice if we really are really his disciples. My time is just about gone, so let's get the last one. Counting the, counting the cost. There's a little slide of, uh, of uh, Dietrich Bornhofer. Hoffer. I can never say foreign names well. But anyway, great book. He has written... I've read his biography and, the, and his other book. This man was willing to pay the ultimate price to be a disciple of Jesus. He stood up against Adolf Hitler and Nazi Nazi beliefs. He wouldn't compromise. He wouldn't take a backward step. Cost him his life. He wrote a book, brothers and sisters. He's written a few, but he's written this book. And I would recommend that you read it. You know what it's well, you know what the title is? The cost of discipleship. Here is a man who wrote, just just like the Lord Jesus, wrote about what it costs to be a disciple and was willing to pay it. It's worth reading, it really is. Wrote it in 1937, long time ago. But just like this book here that we're looking at this morning, still very relevant to us today.
The two illustrations show us it's not just about estimating the cost, but, but the full commitment to pay it. Are we willing to do that? Verse 33 is not a popular verse either, where it says there, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? Do I sell the car and get a bike and give, give all the money to the church? You know, what does it mean? It means, are you willing to sell everything? Are you willing to give up your attitude so that it's the same as Jesus' attitude? Are you willing to sacrifice as much as the Lord was willing? If you're not, I'm not saying this. I'm going to read it to you. If you're not, this is what it says. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. It reminds me of a verse in, in Matthew 16, verse 24. And this is what it means. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any one of you would come after me or follow, he must deny himself, you know. No matter what's happening in the week, in my week this week, I was slotted to speak this morning. And I I wanted to ring you a couple of times, mate. Well, I didn't. That would have been easy to get out of doing what I had to do this this week because it's been a hard week. I'm not I'm not saying this I'm not saying this to you know make myself sound better than you. I'm just trying to live out what's here. I don't always do it successfully. I don't. But what what the Lord expects of his disciple is that we make the commitment to do it. The Lord never asks us to be successful. I love I love the little verse where it talks about the woman who 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 only had two mites to put in, but she gave everything that she had. And and then the other woman who 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 broke the the, the perfume over the Lord's feet, she did what she could. That's the attitude of the Saviour, of the Master. Just wants wants to know that your heart, you're not there for the for the food. You're not there and following him because you want to see a fancy miracle. No, no, no. You're there, you're following because you want to be like him. That's what it means. That's what that verse means, verse 33. You'll do anything, you'll give up anything to be like Jesus. Is that our commitment this morning? 2024, brand new year, brothers and sisters. Are we willing to make the commitment this morning to be like Jesus this year? To be, to be really his disciple, like he would love us to be, like he's asked us to be. I'll keep, I'll keep reading this verse. Then the Lord, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For who, whoever wants to save his life will lose, will lose it and whoever loses his life will find it. Can I have that last slide please? 
We started off with the Great Commission, that verse, didn't we? Go out and make disciples. Brothers and sisters, this is the, this is the secret. To make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. My challenge for you and for me this year is be one and make one. May the Lord bless you. Thank you, Raph. Close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the freedom we have here in this place to open your word and read it and teach it and be taught, be inspired. Father, may we not take that for granted and put our Bibles on the shelf for the week, but be in your word day by day. As we consider Jesus in Philippians 2 did not consider quality with God as something to be grasped. May we not grasp onto the attitudes of selfishness and greed and pride and our own egos, but let it go and surrender our whole lives to you. May we trust you this week in both the difficult and the good and the circumstances that seem to come easy. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.